Hello, and welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and my guest today is Dr. Christy Overstreet, self-branded as your Southern sex therapist. Her accent is audacious and adorable. It's from Georgia. She is so easy to listen to. Uh, Her credentials, training, and experience is vast and impressive. She is a PhD in clinical sexology. If you have no idea what sexology is, that is okay because I ask her all about it. She's a board-certified sex therapist. She's a board-certified transgender care therapist. She's a light... I mean, her list is long. She's a licensed mental health counselor. She's got a master's. She's got a bachelor's. She's in the International Institute of Clinical Sexology. She's, She's done a lot, and she knows a lot. And in this conversation, we talk all about relationships. We talk about sex. We talk about asking for what you need. We talk about communication styles and the fears and the anxiety that come with all of that stuff. At the very end, she talks about the idea of a sexual buffet, which uh, is an interesting conversation. And um, yeah, that's it. Dr. Christie is uh, is great. Super, super fun. We talk, I mean... I mean I'm rambling now, but this is just a really great conversation with a renowned expert who has more than 14 years experience doing this work and she gets it. There are practical tips uh, and insights and questions to consider. So it's a pragmatic conversation. You're going to walk away with some actionable items and things to do immediately to help improve your relationships in your sex life, which I mean, Sounds pretty good, right? So enjoy this conversation with Dr. Christy Overstreet. Okay. Dr. Christy Overstreet. That sounds like such a wonderful name for a a character on a TV show or a movie. It's like Dr. Christy Overstreet, sexologist. Uh, Welcome (laughs) to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And um, for those who are listening that have no idea who you are or even what sexology is, because I know that you have a PhD in that. Do you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Sure. First of all, can you believe they give doctorates out in sexology? It's pretty wild. Super wild. Yeah. I noted that on your website. I was like, that's cool. <laughs> You're like, how does that happen? <laughs> Yeah, I, as a clinical sexologist and certified sex therapist, I just spend most of my days helping people have better intimacy and connection with themselves and other people. And really, sexology is the study of human sexuality and everything that makes us who we are with our sexual selves. And that doesn't have anything to do with the relationship status. It's really just about how we're connected, what we like, um, who we are, and how we show up in different relationships. So is it fair to say that sexology is individual focused rather than focusing on the couple itself? Yeah, from my standpoint, when I approach work, it is an individual focus because you got as a couple, two individuals coming together as a couple are still bringing their individual stuff. And so that's why there's so much empowerment when we look at the individual person and their role in that relationship. Of course, as a couple, 
the behaviors, actions, feelings, thoughts, experiences are taken you know, into consideration, but it's really about what each of those individuals are doing that's either helping or hurting the relationship. Gotcha. And so we're going to dive into this idea of fix yourself first. I would love to hear more about that, but, but I've realized that uh, like in my own relationships, historically, like I'm perfect and the problem is all about my partner. But it seems as if your work has a contradictory perspective on that, which is shocking uh, to me as as somebody that doesn't make mistakes. But uh, maybe you could sort of synthesize your belief on, on, and I'm being completely sarcastic to those listening that can't quite pick that up. Uh, Do you mind just synthesizing sort of how you see relationships and intimacy playing out, why it works, why it doesn't at times? Sure. And that idea of being perfect and it's always our partner, not us, is funny, but that's where I was at. I, I thought that, not that I was perfect. I'm like huge, like perfectionistic driven people pleaser recovering. But this idea that I wasn't the problem, it was my partners that had the problem. Not that I could do no wrong, but it was always something they were doing. And through my work with clients over the years, but in my own personal relationships, I started realizing that really the consistent issue was me. (laughs) I was figuring out a way to blow up the relationship or pick really bad partners that wasn't healthy for me because I was looking for something that wasn't out there. And that really was that relationship with myself. So what I realized is if I stopped pointing the finger at him and started pointing the finger at myself and say, what am I doing to add this chaos and this mess that I'm in? That is only when things started changing for me. And I really had to say, hey, you know what? They got their stuff, but I just as much sometimes, if not more, have my stuff I need to work out. And when I started getting really honest, which was so hard, even though I do this all the time, you know, I was working with clients, but I still had my own mess. And that was really empowering me. I remember I was walking down the street and and I started thinking like, wait a minute, if I make a change to me, everything around me is going to change. And when I did that, I actually met someone that was really healthy, a healthy partner who I'm still with today. This month, we're in March. A couple of weeks will be 14 years that we've been together. So big success on my end for that long term of a relationship. But it was only because I stopped putting up with unhealthy behavior and then I stopped acting unhealthy. So the goal of this fix show first is to say, is there anything that's not working for me? And what can I do about it? And when I change, every single relationship around me changes, or I have to make a decision to not continue in that relationship. And when I did that for myself and see that happening in the clients that I was working with, things just got better. Hmm. Can you give an example of like back in the day, Christy or pre-enlightened Christy to use an exaggerated (laughs) expression? Like when you were in those relationships, what was going on? Was there a common pattern occurring? And then how did you get drawn into the work that you do currently? Well, a lot of times those relationships, for me, I was wanting some type of emotional connection and wanted some type of relationship outcome. And the, my partner, the person that I picked was not on the same path. And I thought, well, you just need to change and get on board because this is what's happening. And he was saying, no, it's not. But I didn't want to hear it. Right? I was like, no, things will get better. He'll change. And it ended up just hurting me further and further. And I needed to start looking at actions and what, what his actions was doing and what his words were saying and that not lining up a lot of times. And so 
versus me jumping in, kind of blowing it up or self-sabotage when I wouldn't get my way of some type of outcome when I stepped out of that and saw, ooh, like this is just as much me and things shifted. It might have been me, you know, trying to use like a physical connection or sex to get an emotional connection. And I wasn't feeling fulfilled in that way because something was missing. It was that emotion. The physical was there, but it can only ride so long in a long-term relationship without that emotional connection, which is really based in trust. So through that work with myself and multiple relationships, started figuring that out myself. At that time, when I was going through those things, I was already a clinician and a therapist working in the field. And the more I really took a look at myself and have my own journey, the better I could help those around me. Um, and it was through that time that I started realizing the people I was working with were having a lot of intimacy issues, issues with sex, sexuality. I'd already had experience working with the LGBTQIA plus community from the jump with my clinical work. And so I thought I really need some type of specialty training because as mental health counselors, we only get a very small amount of human sexuality training in grad school unless we take a workshop. I mean, it's not much at all, one small course. And they definitely were not diving into the work that I was doing. And that's when I said, I got to get some, some training. And that's when I found this doctorate program and the certification. Florida uh, New, and New York are two of the only states that require you to become a certified sex therapist to practice sex therapy as a licensed clinician. And so they have some regulations around it. And so I said, well, I need to get it and figure it out so that I can show up better for the clients that I was working with. And um, growing up in the South and a very conservative family, we definitely did not talk about sex. I mean, much less have sex, right? You were not talking about it. And so I had my own stuff I had to work through to, you know, not get super embarrassed talking about sex and intimacy with a couple I was working with or an individual. So I really learned alongside with my clients. Yeah, it's like almost the an act of rebellion, your profession, right? I mentioned, are you like the black sheep when you go home for Christmas or the holidays? And it's like, how is work? And it's like, it was, you can't really share or are they on board with what you're doing now? Do they accept you? Um, I, I would say they always accept me because that's just a really great family that way. But being honest, I did not tell my family at all when I started my doctorate program. I said, it's a relationship specialty. I didn't even bring up any, and actually come to, to realize it. It's 15 plus years now of clinical work, but several years of being a sex therapist. I never even, we never had a conversation that I was never to this day that I was a sex therapist. Now they see me on Facebook, they see me on Instagram, and, but we do not talk about it, which tells you a lot about my family system. But here's what's funny. When I go home and I was back home these last two weekends and I was at social things in the community, I had more than one um, person in the community to come up and said, Chrissy, I love your articles or I saw you on Facebook. And like one was one of my teachers. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Like from middle school. So it's kind of wild to hear <laughs> the people that bring it up and talk about it. But it is not my family because we still don't talk about it. Yeah, it's so interesting that you would have a lot of people reading and following and learning and observing, but then everybody's kind of doing that individually. And then there's the collective level. It's like, no, we don't speak about that. That's perhaps not uh, allowed or approved. So, so what, I mean, this is a bit outside the, the realm of what we were meant to talk about, but like, what is going on there? Is it, a, like, do you have any insights to having lived through it and observed it firsthand? 
Oh, absolutely. Growing up, it's a very conservative Christian area of Georgia. And for myself, good girls don't talk about sex. You don't have sex. If you do, it means a reputation around you, or it means that you are getting around and this negative connotation with it, even as adults, then it's like, well, we don't have this kind of conversations outside the bedroom. You're not supposed to talk about it because what does that say about you? And that's why I knew this is the work I have to do because if I'm dealing with this as an adult in a healthy long-term relationship and people around me are struggling to talk about it, what about those people that really don't know the words, don't know the terminology, don't know how to speak their truth, don't know how to figure out who they are. And so that's why I was like, I, I have fear and it helps me better empathize and work with people that I work with in the coaching programs because if I'm dealing with this, I know they probably deal with it at times 10. Yeah. Okay. So maybe that's a good foot in the door, so to speak, of what what I'd love to hear more about, which is like, okay, somebody comes to you and they grew up in a highly conservative household and they've been in relationships, but it hasn't quite worked out, but they know, or they are in one and they know there's something more. And this is like the generic prototype of a, of a client, but please correct me if I'm off track. And then they're like, I just, I know there's this more it can be more connection, better sex, better relationship, et cetera. Um, how do you begin to unpack their psyche, so to speak? Or like, where do you start? How do you look at that? Well, I'll start by asking if this wasn't a problem for you, what would it look like with you in your relationship? Like, what's not happening? What do you feel like you're missing? Or what would be nice to have? Or if, if it was going really well, describe that to me. What would it look like in a normal day or maybe a special day? So what I want to hear from that person is tell me the direction that you want to go in. You tell me what you're looking for, vision of you. And maybe you don't know, but you've got to have maybe a word or a sentence or, or a thought of where you want to go to. Then we can start figuring out, okay, what's blocking it, what's in the way, and then what's your thoughts and beliefs about those situations that might be preventing you from getting there. And of course, there's a whole host of those things that get in the way. Yeah, because I saw on your on your website, this idea of asking, how do you learn to love yourself fully? I imagine that acceptance and self-love component is sort of the underlying kernel in all of that. Is that fair? Yeah, it it is. It is that foundational part. But what can be really scary about that is that it can think, wait a minute, if if I've got to love myself to reach this goal, what if I'm never able to love myself? So we have to give ourselves permission to say, I'm on a journey of accepting myself or on a journey of self-love or I'm in this process versus I have to get there. Because I don't know about you, but with me, some days are better than others. And some days I'm not digging myself or maybe not as much or the previous day. So I think a lot of times we don't give ourselves permission to be on the continued journey versus having an expectation of where we have to be. But that self-acceptance or journey of that definitely helps, especially if there's some low sexual self-esteem or shame or embarrassment around our even sexual self. Mm. I think it's a really important point that experts in sexology and relationships also have their own stuff in their sex life and in their relationships. It's it, it, the journey in my experience being serious now seems to never end at the pot of gold. It's like you get that one and then there's another thing to learn, another thing to share, another piece of yourself to open up to. Is that fair? 
Yeah, and and thank goodness, right? <laughs> if we got to the pot of gold, like gold runs out. That gets boring once you reach it. I think goal-oriented to keep growing, whether it's growing as a person, figuring myself out, or in my relationship, because the more we grow or, or work through things, we get the chance to practice crisis intimacy, that dealing with the really hard stuff and coming out on the other end and taking it to the next level. I really feel that's how we keep our relationships fresh and spicy and new is to face things and work through them together and deal with reality on reality's terms versus thinking we got to be at a certain place and stop. Yeah. So that acceptance component as well as I appreciate that immediate reframe of like, thank goodness, isn't it exciting that we get to have conflict and difficult conversations and vulnerability and the rest of it as the spice of the relationship as you described. Like just that in itself feels lighter and easier to digest rather than my description of, oh, it's never ending, Christy. There's just always more. <laughs> um, so how does one begin this journey of loving themselves? Well, you can start by saying, like, if I was to love myself and how I'm defining loving myself looks like to me, what does that look like? And you can hear a lot of times I'm asking, what does it look like? Because how I see love and myself might look totally different than your version of that, or maybe your partner or my partner's version of that. And so I have to say, for me to love myself, maybe it's for me to maybe beat myself up a little bit less or talk a little less negative about myself or to maybe be a little less hard on myself. That might be my version of it and yours might look different. So asking yourself, what does it look like? And we're not looking for the 10. We're not looking for perfection or getting there. We're just saying, what would it look like for it to start shifting just maybe 10 or 15%? Because again, we get in this all or nothing place, this black or white, that we have to be here or that we have to love ourselves. And that feels so overwhelming and impossible. But if we can just give ourselves permission to say, well, it might look like this a little bit, or maybe more days than not, it looks like this then we can start realizing that we're actually on that journey. So that's where I would start. Yeah. And so it sounds like it starts with a curiosity or daydreaming or imagination, perhaps. And I find in working with clients that sometimes that can be the hardest part of simply answering the question, what do you want? And I find that if people aren't playing in that space that space very often, then the imagination muscle of sorts is atrophied or they don't know how to access it or they defer to, I don't know what I want because they're overwhelmed. Um, how do you help individuals navigate that space? You are so spot on that it becomes overwhelming if people aren't used to visioning or daydreaming or really opening up possibilities because we're so like, eyes down and working hard, not really having the luxury to dream of what's possible because we're just like living in a moment trying to get stuff done. But where you can start and well, the approach that I use is a whole self method as a whole person. So I believe we have six parts of ourselves. We have our emotional self, our relational self, our sexual self, our career self, our recreational self. And these different parts of who we are make up as the whole person, we can so we can say, for my relational self, what do I want more of in my life? What would good relationships look like for sexual self? Even maybe if I'm not a sexual person, what 
type of sexual connection would I like or physical connection would I like or recreational self? What do I want to do for fun? What excites me when I look a year down the road? What do I want to be doing activity wise? So if we can break these different parts of ourselves up, it gives us a place to start. and It doesn't feel quite so overwhelming. Right. And then say it's as simplistic as I want to be happier or like I want to have better sex. Right. And then is it simply a process of continuing on from there? Like, okay, what makes you happy? Okay. How often do you do those things now? It's like an audit of your life. If a person's out of touch with um, their connection with it, yes, doing an audit is a quick way to say, okay, am I doing more things that make me happy or more, or more things that make me unhappy? Or for the sex, I want to have better sex. Well, tell me, first of all, what do you mean when you say better sex? Again, and I'll tell a person, my definition of better sex might look totally different than yours. So when you imagine better sex, what are you really looking for? And sometimes they'll say, well, I just, I want my partner to connect with me. I want more foreplay. I want a little bit more time. I don't want to just rush. I want to enjoy the experience. Or I want to be able to have a quickie or just do something quick and dirty and be done with it and feel good about it and not have to be there for like an hour. So that idea of better or more, we really want to talk about that individual experience because that also gives us permission to say, it's okay that my definition is different than even my partner. Because I think that's where a lot of relationships really mess up is they think that they're talking about the same thing. And we're talking about, even though it's even the same word, the definition can look totally different. So really defining that for yourself or giving yourself that flexibility to explore that is the place to start. Yeah. You reminded me of this complete tangent that I feel called to share about uh, Walmart. Uh, so please, please humble me for a moment. but. I was dating this, I was dating this Australian girl a couple of years ago. And this is a this is a metaphor that can be used for sex. So and she kept saying, hey, we should get matching tracky decks. Is this uh, is what she wanted, tracky decks. And tracky decks, for those that don't know, that's perfect because I had this vision in my mind of what tracky decks were. And I pictured these 1980s warm-up uh, outfits that like a basketball team would wear that you like pull off. And I was like, there's no way that I want tracky decks. And for like maybe a year or two, uh, this went on. She kept mentioning it. And I was like, I'm not getting tracky decks. I'm not getting matching tracky decks. Like no chance. And we were in like, I think Walmart one day. And, and we were walking past these uh, outfits and they were sweatpants with a matching sweatshirt that looked super cozy and comfortable. And she's like, oh, cool. Tracky decks are on sale. And at that moment, I was like, wait those are tracky decks. Like you want, I'll definitely get those. I'm into that for sure. But because we hadn't had that clearing conversation of like, what do you believe tracky decks are? We were completely missing each other for a period of years. And I feel like hopefully that story is relevant to conversations that you have with your clients around intimacy and sex. You just teamed up Walmart and sex in the story. And that was just amazing. First time ever that I've heard that. Um, that you're spot that on. Okay. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. And so how then do you facilitate your clients to have those challenging conversations? 
Well, first of all, coming together to say, we've got to be able to talk about this without personalizing it. Because we are real quick as people to hear something from our partner. And then before we even really hear and listen, we're ready to jump on and give our two cents because you know we're always right, right? Not our partner. Um, <laughs> right? It happens. So what I say is let's not personalize. Let's just get ready to kind of collaborate with one another. Meaning we're going to just listen and hold space where no one's going to personalize what we're about to talk about. That means when you start making it about you, I'm going to call you out. And if you start making it about you, I'm going to call you out. Because this is just mm-hmm. a place to talk out definitions, how you're feeling, what you're thinking about this. And to say that first, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I apologize. It almost like catches you to say, okay, I'm becoming aware. I'm not going to jump with the kitchen sink in with all the reasons you're wrong. I'm just going to hold space and let it roll like water down a duck fat versus absorbing it all in. So setting that to start is really helpful. And people can do this at home, not even working with a coach or a clinician. You can say to your partner, hey, can we talk about this? And I'm strong and not going to personalize and ask you don't. Can we just hold this invisible space between us that we can talk about this without having to get our emotions and feelings triggered? Are you game for that? And partners probably like, oh, absolutely. Let's give it a go. So just putting that out there almost gives these boundaries or guidelines to start having these hard conversations because it's hard to talk about intimacy and sex, not just in you know my town and the family I grew up in that doesn't happen, but even in relationships where we love somebody or we like them a whole lot and we're sexually active with them, it can still be tricky because of so much weight that we give into the topic of sex and intimacy. Yes. It seems like sex and money are the two big kind of boogeymen, so to speak, in a relationship dynamic where you have to have those conversations. But also it seems like there's a lot of weight behind the significance of those terms and what it means, right? I like the reframe though of of, of saying like, there's you, there's me, and then there's this topic that we're going to discuss. And if I can create some distance from that topic and you can do that also, then that creates a space for us to really communicate openly. And so the devil's advocate in me is like, that sounds really easy. uh, But in my experience, it can be challenging at times. Do you have any suggestions or best practices for doing that for those listening? Yeah, it does sound easy, but it can be really hard at first, meaning it's going to take some time to practice. So you also have to give yourself and your partner some grace that neither one of you are going to be doing it really great in the beginning. But the openness, both people have to be willing to want to have a conversation. And that's the hardest part, right? Because we want to hold on to what we know to be true, or maybe our hurt and pain, that, or the victimization around that. We want to hold on to that sometimes. And the, the place to start is to just say, you know what? I've got to talk about this really hard topic with you. I'm worried about it. I'm worried. I, I, I hold back because I'm worried you're going to you know, get upset and I want to protect you. So being really honest and vulnerable is hard. But here's the thing. The more vulnerable and, tr- and honest we are, we get this opportunity to build trust. And when trust goes up, it's completely in tandem with intimacy, which is connection. So with more trust as being vulnerable, intimacy goes up. And when intimacy goes up, so does trust. But what happens is when trust is hit or we feel hurt, it goes down before the intimacy and connection goes down. So we realize that really our biggest filter is we need to be figuring out how does this affect trust in the relationship? Then we can say, okay, I'm willing to do this because I want to be more trustworthy or I want to trust you more because we had this past issue that happened. And looking at it from that framework, 
both people sometimes will buy in a little bit easier to have that conversation. Hmm. And so then rather than focusing specifically on intimacy, you reframe it around a trust uh, issue, so to speak. Yes, with saying too that intimacy isn't sex. Intimacy is connection. Physical intimacy, sex is one type of physical intimacy, but mm-hmm. intimacy from the way I define it is connection. And if you're wanting to connect, you're wanting to build intimacy. Therefore, you're going to want to build trust as well. And they go hand in hand. That's the biggest disconnect in most couples is one partner wants a different, better, more sex. And the other partner's like, wait a minute, I, we're not even emotionally connected. I'm not even feeling out there safe or secure, or you didn't hear me or you're not listening to me. I definitely don't want sex with you. And it doesn't always come out that clearly. It comes out as passive aggressiveness, rejection. Um, oh, well, it's just a chore. Something else I have to mark off my list so that I can be a good blank, right? Partner, wife, husband, like whatever that it is. And we miss the point of saying, you know what? Like if we're going to feel very connected, we've got to make sure all of our intimacy needs are met, the emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, and all those different kinds. Yeah, similar to how you broke up the individual self into the various categories, it sounds like you're doing the same with intimacy. And that creates a space to more readily or easily understand the various components that make up the larger whole. Yeah, absolutely. I have a a question. What is like one topic or area or conflict that you see time and time again to the point where you're like, you want to grab the whole world and shake it? And be like, oh my God, I'm so sick of this story or narrative, or I want to wave a magic wand and have it disappear forever. Is there a specific thing that comes up when I ask that weird question? Well, first thing that comes up is specifically with women, that a lot of times when when there is a desire difference, a libido difference, a sexual desire difference between a woman and, and her partner, that she often goes to the what's wrong with me. My partner wants me and desires me, but I am not feeling them at all. So something must be broken with me. Something is wrong with me. And I just want to tell everyone, there's nothing wrong with you. There's a lot of different things that block us, get in the way, our thoughts, feelings, behaviors, actions that keep us maybe from really connecting with our sexual self and not, you know, not being able to understand that it can lead to a lot of shame. Now, of course, if there's a partner that's saying, oh, Everyone else that I've been with doesn't have this problem. You know, what's wrong with you? That doesn't help. Let's be real. But we do have a lot of situations where partners support like, no, you know, I love you. I care about you. I want to, you know, have sex with you and I want to be connected with you. Why don't you want me? I do all these things for you. And she's like, well, something's wrong with me because I have this wonderful partner and I still don't want it. So it's not an idea of being broken. It's just there's other things going on that we have to go through and assess. So there's this constant, I'm wrong. I'm, something's wrong with me if I don't fit this narrative that society sh- shows how women are supposed to be or that it doesn't match my partner's libido or drive. So something is wrong with me. Mm. And then what would be the next step in unpacking those stories? We'll start by saying, okay, well, has this, this idea of your desire difference, how long has this been going on? Has this happened in past relationships? What is your thoughts and beliefs about yourself around this? And then checking from a medical standpoint, making sure we are ruling out any type of medical issue that may be going on, right? And sending them to a medical physician to do that. And then from 
this uh, therapy standpoint of like what's going on for is there uh, any other type of intimacy blockers? Is there an action that maybe you're doing, your partner's doing? Is there a feeling that keeps coming up? Is there any mental health things coming up? Is it a medication side effect? There's a whole host of things we go through to figure out what's going on for you. And a lot of the times, a lot of the times, it's because of stress, anxiety, disconnection in that relationship that mm. causes this. Yeah, I was thinking. Like, oh, it might be that they have a deadline at work or that they're not sleeping a lot. And so it might not even be necessarily about the partner or the intimacy specifically as much as a contributing factor. It's like, oh, I haven't eaten in three days. Like, well, that might play a role in how you're showing up, right? Um, So it sounds like you're taking a very holistic approach to interrogate the various influences on that action or activity. Absolutely. There's external and internal factors. And if we want to treat ourselves as a whole person, which we deserve to, because we are, we have to look at all these things versus just looking in one area. Yeah. Okay. And then going back to this idea about communicating needs or desires, are there certain sentence stems or conversation like phrases that you suggest, like, is there a cheat sheet of like, hey, you're going, we've had some big realizations in this session and we've agreed that you're going to have this conversation with your partner by our next, you know, meeting. I doubt that you like send them away with like a Godspeed, take care. Are, are there certain, <laughs> are there certain sort of things that you prep or that you know are helpful in those situations? Yeah, absolutely. We set some ground rules or guidelines before they leave because sometimes what will happen is one partner's like, okay, I'm, I'm down with this. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, you know, at, at lunch, dinner, the next day. And the other partner's like, this is too much. I need some space. So helping them decide, hey, what can we just try to say what day or time of the day is best to even start having a discussion? Is this discussion going to feel better on the weekend and during the week when you're parenting and you're working, you got all this stuff. So let's talk about when the best time is. Also, we talk about when the best time it is for each individual to actually have sex because we're one thing communicating about it, but we also out there in between getting some action. And the action part of this, something as simple as one partner is like, hey, I'm a morning person. I want, you know, I've got energy in the morning before I get ready for work. It's a good time for me. And the other partner is like, no, I barely make it up to work. So I'm a night person because I can blow off steam. I can get ready for bed. You can have something as simple as two people want sex at different times of the day. And that be something that really gets in the way, right? So the communication of, oh, it's not a you or it's not a me problem. It's just, what is my preference? And saying, when you have these little aha moments and talking about this between our sessions, give yourself, you know, props for doing that. Say, hey, we figured this out. How can we collaborate on this? Because sometimes, you know, I'm not going to be ready to go in the morning or at night. Um, So giving each other also grace to figure these things out and giving each other the, the thought to say, hey, you know what? I need a time out. I can't go there. I've got too much on my mind. And then the other partner saying, hey, I understand. Can I check back in with you tomorrow or we'll talk about it a little bit later? And that's hard if you're a person that really wants to have the conversation figured out and resolve it. You also have to respect your partner. So that is some of the guidelines around leaving a session before the next session. Yeah, I love that. And I found myself nodding 
internally of like, oh yeah, I've been through that. And I loved how you phrased it as a collaboration rather than like a hostage negotiation or some kind of war that's ongoing and conflict. It's like, no, we're collaborating, right? On this topic. And I find it helpful in my own relationship to remind myself of that, of like, oh yeah, we're doing this so that like my life is easier and that I have more love in my life and that like I have better sex in my life and I have less conflict and anxiety and angst in my life. And I find that like maintaining that larger umbrella sort of vision or goal is helpful in those moments when I'm feeling (laughs) confrontational, triggered, activated, et cetera. Is that something that you suggest or has found is helpful? You are spot on with that because what you're talking about is so healthy. This collaboration standpoint, when we collab with someone, we're teammates, right? If we're going to do a collab together, we're on the same team, like trying to get the same path or going in the same general direction. And that's what I want couples to be. I want you to say, look, let's get on the same team about this and solve this as a couple versus being in a boxing match where you're both in separate corners of the ring going at each other. That's what you did before we started working together. And that's not going to continue unless you still want the same old type of relationship. And that's your decision. So if you want to get on the same page, you got to decide, do I really want to be on the same team? And I think that's the missing mark because couples will say, oh, yeah, 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 we, we're on the same team. And they don't even like each other. <laughs> right. And, and I think we, we skip over this so often. We just assume. What's funny about couples that a lot of times they don't realize and they end up missing out on is that they they think they like each other and they really don't. Just because they're together, they're like, oh, we like each other, but they don't. A lot of times couples have failed out of liking one another. They've lost a friendship and they've gotten busy just being in the relationship. And most of the times we start out being friends, dating, liking each other, then it growing. And so what I want to tell couples is, If you want to truly collaborate, you need to decide, do I want to be friends with this person? And if you do want to be friends with them, you stop treating them like shit, right? Like you stop treating them the way you, you would never treat a friend the way you're treating your partner. It's not acceptable just because it's your partner. And so that hard truth, when couples look at that, they really say, oh yeah, I might need to look at my stuff and change that. And then they're more apt to start taking steps to collaborate together and get on the same team versus against each other. Your, your job must be so fascinating because I imagine you'll have these moments where you can so clearly see what they cannot. It's like, I imagine it's so obvious to you at times, like you guys don't even like each other, but like you're, you're having this entire conversation as if you do. And there's this elephant in the room. It's yes. like, oh yeah, I don't like you right now. So yeah. how do you, uh, what's that like to be in a room when those, those uh, epiphanies are being realized or those chats are being had um for me as a therapist i'm just like oh oh uh, that's it y'all this is what's happening now that's now it's starting as in a when i first started as a therapist i may not have had the confidence to do that because it's like oh i don't want to interrupt or i don't want to be but you know as i've kind of grown and worked on my skills and work with thousands of folks it's like no this is what you're here for you deserve my honesty and what you see is what you get and i can't sugarcoat this for you because you're not going to get the relationship you deserve if i don't do that so i take it from the standpoint of mm, we entered in this agreement to work together so i'm going to tell you what i see and when couples hear that at first they're like what oh and then they give this permission to really be honest with themselves and each other and that can be a big breakthrough moment 
Mm. Yeah, imagine if they, because even in that moment of honesty, there is intimacy, there is vulnerability, there is connection, even though it doesn't feel great, right? It's, you're sort of practicing all of those things that we talked about earlier. It's just a very uh, defining sort of conversation. I suppose there's like the before and then this thing happens and then there's an after and there's no reconciling what once was after that. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, the air comes out of the balloon and you can just see the couple go, oh. And sometimes it's like, oh. But then a lot of times it's like, okay, that's it. At least we know we're starting. Right. And, and like, how do we get back to what it was, right? Or like treat it, you know, if I did like you, how would I treat you? If I did like you, how would I want to spend our Friday night? If I did like you, if I did respect you, and I think sometimes... Um, in my experience as well, like you can lose sight of, of that yeah. fact because you're so caught up in the day-to-day survival mm-hmm. or the desire to be right or the, de- or the hurt that's not being recognized or communicated. Relationships are tricky. Hey, Christy. <laughs> they, they are. Yeah. What, what have you learned recently or say in the last, however you want to define that time period? that's kind of um, taking you to another level of understanding or um, best practice? I think the biggest thing is working with individuals or couples, it doesn't matter what type of setup the individual showing up or as a couple, it's giving permission to be honest with themselves. And the quicker I can say, hey, look, if you don't want this relationship, it's okay to say it. Right? You're not protecting anybody by lying to yourself if that's what's happening. Now, I've listened a little bit and heard on me. I can hear that's what's coming out. So a lot of times individuals just need that permission to be super honest with themselves in a space that's safe and non-judgmental for them to really get to the next level. So for me, not being afraid to call it out when I say, hey, is this what's happening? Or I'm wondering if, and I kind of do that old school Columbo effect, right, to help them get to that. But a lot of times, all someone needs is just the permission and space to say, hey, if this isn't working, it's okay to say that between you and I or as a couple. Y'all, if this isn't working, let's just put it on the table and take a look at it. And then you have one person say, yes, you're right. I was holding it in. And the quicker I can do that and, of course, pace and get with what's needed in the situation, the faster momentum, healing, or separation conscientiously can happen. Mm. And separation can be healing right? They're not necessarily separate. You know that. I'm just saying that to those listening. It's like sometimes separation is the most healing thing you can do, right? Oh, I had a question, Christy. When you talked about, oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have clarified that, that point to the audience. So you talked about this idea that you help people to, um, you create a space for people to to be super honest. And it seems like that honesty is difficult for the individual to really accept. And I'm curious if you could expand on why that is, or um, I imagine it's the meaning underneath it. Of like, if I admit that I don't want to be in this relationship, then I have to also admit that I need to move out. I need to lose the money. I need to blah, 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 the heartbreak, et cetera. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, all of those things keep us in the place of not being able to be honest with ourselves. 
And a big part of it is the worry of what other people are going to think of us if we have to unwind this relationship or leave this job or leave this friendship or put a boundary up with a family member. We spend so much time so worried about what other people think is that we're not even living our life for ourselves or living it for other people. And we want to know, we can't figure out why we're resentful, frustrated or aggravated or feeling stuck. And, and that's a big, big part of this is the worry about how the family members are going to act, what the friends are going to think, what the kids are going to think. And that's where I have so many people that stay in unhealthy relationships for the children. And a lot of times what they don't realize is they're doing more harm to the child if that relationship is toxic. Now, I want to put a preface out there. I'm not telling anyone what they need to go do with their family. My goal is to help you figure out the answer for yourself. But keep in mind, sometimes that we think we're doing what's best when if we look underneath the hood, it's actually doing more harm for everybody around us. Can you please say more about the harm that it's doing um, with respect to that? We're staying together for the kids. It's better for the kids. What's an example? Sure. And I want to say, I know some people aren't able to leave unhealthy relationships for the financial and security part of that. So I totally understand that. This is no judgment on that. But we talk about harm and hurt. We grow up figuring out how we're going to be in relationships. We're not conscientious of it at the time, but we model what we've seen, those relationships around us, the type of love we saw was accepted or not accepted or not given. We either do the same or we decide to do something radically different than that. So what's happened is parents a lot of times don't realize how much they're modeling for their kids or the type of relationship their kids may make a decision to be in in the future. How that individual parent carries themselves, what they say to themselves, how they eat, how they act, how they react, and the types of people that that parent allows into their own life. That kid isn't conscious, but they're absorbing all of that. And in their little minds, their template is setting in of what to accept and not accept in future relationships. And if parents are in really unhealthy, toxic situations and having children in that, that kid, obviously, they may have their own emotional, physical, sexual um, abuse that may be happening, absorbing that or experiencing it firsthand, but also if they're seeing you go through that. And I need to say, too, there's so much um, coercion and things that are not obvious because a lot of times we, we wouldn't call something abuse if it's not what we say and define abuses, and there's so much out there that's unhealthy, that because it's not that bad, we don't give ourselves that recognition of what's actually happening. So mm-hmm. modeling for the kids, the kids are watching it. And, and sometimes, I mean, it's, it's more harmful for the kids. Hmm. I'm reminded of this conversation I had with a woman named Erin Sky Kelly on the podcast. And she was talking about how she was driving down the road and her mom was in the front seat of the car. And her kids were in the backseat and the mom was uh, emotionally abusive historically and was being very rude and cruel and whatnot. And Aaron Aaron. taking it. And then um, at some point she looked in the rearview mirror and she saw her two young children in the backseat. And it kind of reframed everything for her of like, oh, my goodness, I'm teaching my kids that it is okay for people to talk to us like this. And I'm teaching my kids that l- mothers speak to their children like this and that that's okay. And so, I mean, this is, to those listening, this is extreme, but you can listen to the conversation. Erin literally pulled into a gas station and kicked her mom out of the car and left her on the side of the road. And, and then like, they didn't talk. I don't know if they've talked again. But so this is a very extreme example of a firm boundary or a realization or an epiphany. And I'm sharing that because I think your point about 
seeing things from a broader perspective of what you're teaching the children by staying in those relationships is really powerful um, and isn't necessarily talked about enough. So thanks for sharing. What have we not touched on? I feel like we're jumping all over the place. Is there something that you're like, oh man, Jeremy, why didn't you ask me this question when we were talking about that or that you haven't had a chance to communicate? Um, Something I always like to remind people of that are in longer term relationships, especially when intimacy kind of changes. Two things. Number one, you had mentioned earlier that um, how do we get back right after things happen? How do we get? And I think a lot of times we have that thought, let's get back to where we were when we first started dating and being friends. And I wonder if we can look at that as saying, what do I want now that I know this person? Because we could sometimes set ourselves up to be really unrealistic because we're never going to recreate what happened in that beginning, you know, that NRE, the new relationship experience and all the feel goods that happened. We can't recreate that. However, if we're building trust and intimacy, which is our goal, then we're going to keep getting to new levels of that connection, fun, spice, satisfying, mutual needs being met more days than not. So our goal doesn't need to be let's recreate, let's make our goal to be, how do we make this even better than how it used to be now that we have more tools in our toolbox? And that's where a lot of couples will end up coming to me because the intimacy and sex has gotten a little stale. Maybe it's got a little boring. Maybe it's gotten a little disconnected. Um, so something I like to talk a lot about is sexual buffets. Would you like to, do you know what a sexual buffet is? You may know about this already. I mean, you can't just say a phrase like, I like to talk about sexual buffets and then not have me follow up with like, please, Christy, share anything you want about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point, right? Well, this thing about this sexual buffet, I love talking about this because I think as as in relationships, we, we think that, okay, sex means this, right? It means this and this and this and that's it. But if we plan to stay with someone in a long-term relationship, and if we're monogamous and we want to be physically monogamous in a relationship, we have to keep it exciting. And it doesn't mean you have to swing from the chandeliers, which there's no judgment if you do that, like go do your thing. But when we approach things and say, let's build this buffet of options. When we look at a buffet, there's a lot of different things. And I know when I go to a buffet, I may go and say, oh, I want to look at this. I'm not in the mood for that. Or that looks gross. Or yeah, that looks yummy. I want two more plates of that. What if we took our sexual activities, our actions, our desires, our fantasies, and notice? Okay. Okay. I'm saying fantasies, which means that. Nope. <laughs> the microphone, even the idea of a sexual buffet has, has ruptured the time sound continuum, broke the mic. <laughs> Who would have thought uh, that sexual buffets would be, would be blowing up the mic here? Um, okay. So we look at a sexual buffet, you know, we, we look at options that we might be in the mood for, but if we take our actions, our fantasies, our thoughts, our desires and stuff that we're into and say, can we just try a little bit of anything and everything if it feels right at the time? So then we're not just looking at this like, simplistic idea of what, let's just say, if penetrative sex is your idea of sex or oral sex is you, you got, maybe you like giving, but you don't like receiving why can't we say, is there other things that might be fun? We have to discuss, discuss them. We have to both consent to them. We can, you know, fantasize about them, which means we don't actually have to do them. But can we add this to the buffet of options? So when one or both of you are like, hey, I feel a little frisky or I'm initiating sex, I can comfortably say, you know what? 
I don't have, I don't really want to, you know, get down with that kind right now, but you know what? I'll give you a blowjob while that works for you. And then you can take care of me later. Like you're almost like pulling these different options versus it has to look the same way all the time. And it's more of a moving away from a scarcity model that, oh gosh, I better do it all right now sexually. Cause I don't know when, when the, she's going to say yes again, right? That's scarcity. And you can't have a good long-term relationship in that scarcity model. So the sexual buffet option is a great way to bring things up and have discussions and conversations so that both people are getting their needs met. Hmm. I love that. And I'm, I was reminded of a uh, sizzler. Uh, they, they have like the buffet when I was a kid, I got these sizzler restaurants and, uh, and I always see these things like, uh, like on the salad, they had black olives. And as a child, I was just like repulsed. But then as a grown up, mm-hmm. I'm like, Olives are pretty tasty. I find myself buying olives. And so I share that to, to say, you know, didn't used to be your favorite thing on the buffet. But maybe in time with a little revisitation or a different restaurant, you might like it now. So perfect yeah. example. Yeah. See what your what your version of olives are. Like maybe you're like, oh my God, I like olives now. Uh, anyway, that's a weird way to, to perhaps wrap up the podcast, but, uh, talk to Christy Overstreet, where can people find you on the internet? How can they follow you? Is there any courses or shares that, that you have for them? Sure. They can find me online at drchristyoverstreet.com or on Instagram at Christy underscore Overstreet. I, I have several different quizzes that will help you really assess your relationship needs and making sure you're getting in touch with that for women and for the guys. We've got a healthy sexual self-esteem quiz to help you see where you fall into with your sexual self-esteem. And all that can be found on the website or on Instagram. Cool. And that's just a free quiz that they can download or they take it online or something? Yep, absolutely. Maybe two to three minutes, we'll get some results and some tips about how to kind of take them to the next level. Cool. A sexual self-esteem free quiz. So if you're listening, I mean, that seems pretty fun. Uh, if the buffet talk didn't get you, hopefully the, <laughs> the idea of taking a quiz online <laughs> does. But uh, Christy, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate uh, your insights and your perspectives. This was, a, this was a fun one for me. Thanks, Jeremy, for taking on this conversation. It can be tough to talk about, but you did it very gracefully. <laughs> appreciate you. Thank you. Okay, so that was Christy, Dr. Christy Overstreet, my apologies. And as mentioned, I've included links in the show notes to her website, her Instagram, and also those self-directed quizzes that she alluded to about sexual self-esteem. So you can find those in the show notes, click them, go and take the test, learn more about yourself, see what it says, and um, yeah, have a good time improving your sex life and your relationship life and asking for your needs, and cultivating intimacy, and practice wholehearted, open-hearted communication. That's what we're here to do, my friend. That's what we're here to do. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening, for following me online and on Instagram at Long Distance Love Bombs. I adore and appreciate you. Thanks for all your support and five-star reviews. Gosh, you're one of the good ones. You're one of the good ones. If I was Santa Claus, I would bring you a fucking pony for Christmas. That's That's how much I like you. I'll talk to you next week.